Welcome to the Into Your Hand podcast with Brendan and Wesley. This week's Sabbath School lesson is from October 10th to October 16th, and the title is The Law as Teacher. This week's main memory verse is You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Deuteronomy 6 5. devotionals. We need the daily spiritual food from on high. Father, may this program be a blessing to those who hear it. We pray for your guidance as we discuss this lesson. You know our needs. Lord, please bless us with faith, repentance, and courage to stand for you in the face of attacks. May our hearts be cleaned and be the home of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening. We're gathered here again today to study the lesson together, Wesley and I, and we're really glad that you could join us. Amen. So, as we mentioned in the introduction, this lesson's 
title is The Law as Teacher, and we're so happy that you could be with us. Let's start with a quote from Sabbath's lesson. The law shows our sin to us, but it is also there to point us to the way of life, which is found only in Jesus. This is also what true education should be about, pointing us to a life of grace, of faith, and of obedience to Christ. Now, this is one point that we will emphasize throughout this lesson study today, because it's so important that we understand that not only was the life of Christ perfectly lived, that sacrifice given, that justification available to each one of us, and when we take hold of that, our sins are forgiven, but that from that point we are taken on the beautiful walk of sanctification through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and our words and actions each day in the way that we live according to the law of God. And then that wonderful point of glorification when Christ comes again. So that is, in a nutshell, what salvation is. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Definitely. Um, I know that the first half of Romans is all talking about the great justification and how the law doesn't save us and that the life of Christ saves us. And the last part of Romans is talking about sanctification, how the Holy Spirit changes us. And uh, that we need to remember that. And I really find that very important. Uh, I want to ask the Holy Spirit to change me every day to live in me, to give me faith, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. On our own, we can do nothing. But through the power of Christ, we can do everything. We can live as he lived. We can be as perfect as Christ was because of the Spirit dwelling within us. He transforms our lives. And we are very grateful for that. So, on Sunday's lesson... Isn't it so much of the writings of the Old Testament, nothing but God seeking to teach his people to follow the way of life? Mm. Uh, it it asks us to read Deuteronomy 31. I wanted to read verse 9 to 13. So Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priest, the sons of Levi who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the end time of the year of remission of debts at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to hear about the Lord your God at the place which he will choose, you will read this law in front of all the, of Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, the men and the women and the children and the alien who is in your town, so that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and be careful to observe all the words of the law. Their children who have not known will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live on the land which you are about to go to cross the Jordan to possess. Now, the law was very important. They had to remember it and learn it. They studied it every year, speak of it when we stand up and sit down and go in and go out. We are to love the law, and yet so many say that the law is done away with, right? Right. But that doesn't seem to match with sanctification. How do we know we're sanctified in Romans if we don't have some standard to consider, uh, reflect on, to, to compare ourselves to? And our lesson talks about, on Sunday's lesson, talks about the 
dynamic of fear versus love. And we have to understand that fearing God and loving God doesn't seem to mesh. But just like a child fears and loves their father, where what he says goes, right? If you're a parent who is like wishy-washy and sometimes what you say is strict and sometimes, you know, you don't follow through, it can cause problems. God always follows through on what he says. And so we have, there has to be a strong respect for your parents. We all respect our parents and we need to respect God the same way. I think we need to understand the, the power and the might of God and the the result, like we've talked about previously, the, the result of sin is destruction in the life here and now. It might be slow, it might be quick, but sin always degrades. It's like sand underneath the eyelid. The more you blink, the more it cuts. And then there is an end result. There is an end annihilation to purify the world and that sin no, never exists again. But we need to always have a holy reverence. We should never treat God as like my little buddy or mm. something like that. We, he should never be belittled or disrespected. He is a holy God. And when we read in the book of Exodus, when he comes down on Mount Sinai, for instance, he reveals himself to the people of Israel. They can see it from base camp. And a boundary is set up around Mount Sinai. And God tells Moses and Aaron, keep them away. Keep every animal away. Keep every person away. Because if they come to this holy mountain where I am, they will die. Because sinful humanity cannot be in the presence of God. So there are a lot of instances where we can read the, the striking contrast between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And Christ is there as our intermediary, our bridge between our unforgiven and sinful selves and life wearing the righteous white robe of Christ so that there's no longer a division between us and him when we come and wear that white robe. You know, we know the history of how Israel was drawn away to other gods, to, to Baal and whatnot. And at this point, these slaves... We're setting up a, God was setting up a new kingdom with these slaves, and he wanted to instill in them not only, not exactly a complete fear that God was scary, but they got kind of that impression. Um, but his might and his power was on display to say, you listen to me. I am the true God. I am not like the gods of wood and stone that other nations are following. I, did you remember how I destroyed the gods of Egypt? So I think we need to look at how the law was given and in the way it was given and the time it was given and see that these people who had so much to learn, they these people were like children and they had to be treated like children and raised like children in a way. They just were not mentally and capable of understanding and so god is like this is me and they were like we'll do whatever you say you know and they promised that so 
in our lives, in our walk, in our moral decision-making, we develop over time. And we, God doesn't want us to stay in that fearful state. We should grow up in Christ and have a stronger understanding of who he is and a better relationship with him. They dramatically saw God working in Egypt with the plagues and how he took apart that nation Yes, through the destruction of their people, their grains, their cattle, their firstborn, even their treasure. We know that the people of Israel left with a lot of the the fine jewels and, mm-hmm. and whatnot uh, of the Egyptians. And then the final act was the destruction of their military force in the Red Sea. Yes. So they already saw God on display as a mighty warrior for them. But now he was revealing himself for another purpose, mm. and that was a transformational purpose of giving the law from on high, literally on high, to Moses for their benefit, so that they would have that mirror to see their character and to change who they are. Mm. It's so discouraging that all that God did in in the Red Sea and destroying Egypt and then on the Sinai, they still like built the, you know, the calf and and they rebelled over and over again. It's just, they are so slow to learn the lessons and sometimes children are so slow to learn the lesson. Well, I tend to think of it more in an, an inner development sort of way not as an external factor, but mm. let's use a metaphor of exercise, for instance. Yes. Or good health, for instance. Yes. Those, those two go hand in hand, uh, quite literally. <laughs> <laughs> so what you eat, you become. Mm-hmm. And if you're told to eat good things for your health, and you do so, and you grow in health, mm-hmm. then you see the benefit of that. Mm-hmm. Or if you were put on an exercise program or encouraged to do that, and the, the plan is laid out plainly, and you follow that, and you notice that after a few months, your muscles are toned and strong, and you have endurance for the race ahead. You appreciate those instructions. People these days pay a lot of money to gym instructors to tell them what to do. <laughs> so think of this dramatic display, this uh, display of God's might and power on Mount Sinai as as the ultimate instructor giving the ultimate instructions of what to do and what not to do for the children that he loves. Yes. The law that was read to the men and the women and the children, this is an important point because it was read to them as a congregation so that no one would have an excuse to say that they didn't know it, Mm -hmm. they didn't understand it. Even the children understood it. And when the Pharisees look back at that point in which the law was given to Moses, in their tradition, which I do not believe is correct, they believe and they teach that a separate law was given to an exclusive group, Mm -hmm. and it was called the Oral Torah, Right, And it differed, and they were the only ones to keep that. And so they used that as a 
power over the people for many generations, even up through the time of Christ. They said, we are special. We have a special understanding because something was told to us that was not written down. Mm -hmm. And then they used that and they put a burden on the people beyond the written Torah. Right. And Christ condemned them heavily because of that. So that was the that was the point that the Pharisees reference even to this day that the oral Torah was given. Let's move ahead uh, to Monday. Uh, Moses speaks of the book of the law as though it is a living being with power to reprove the hearts of men. I spoke briefly just a few minutes ago of the law of God being a mirror to our souls. Right. When we are living in a life of sin, how are we to know, as secular people, what sin is? If we look at the law of God, we can see clearly what he intends for us to do and to not do. This afternoon, we had a wonderful time in nature, and we were reading through the book of Exodus. And in that book, there are laws concerning liability. For instance, if you have an animal that gets loose in your neighbor's field and it destroys their crops or eats their crops, you're liable for that. Another example that was given was an ox that was prone to violence. And if that was known to the owner and the owner did not restrain that animal and that animal gored somebody else, then they're liable for that injury or that death. So there are lots of things in the scripture which are given plainly. And a beautiful thing is how they transcend from the scripture into cultures and government in which those governments might not directly understand their origin. The echoes of God's wisdom are seen in the hearts of some men and also in the legal systems of many countries. So liability, that's one that is almost universal. Laws concerning perjury, for instance, thou shalt not lie, or murder, thou shalt not kill, or theft, thou shalt not steal, and many other ones. We can see those in legal systems around the world because they are very important for how men deal with each other. We need to deal with each other fairly, and if we do something intentionally wrong, there's a penalty. Or if we do something accidentally wrong, there's also a penalty. Um, yes, and when you were saying that, I was like, they had to read this law every seven years. And Deuteronomy and Exodus and these books are not terribly long. And it's really easy to read them. And they're, they're, they're great books of wisdom that we should read. Um, but it just reminded me, like, can you imagine every seven years sitting down and reading the entire legal code of the United States, but the Bible has the laws really condensed and very simple to understand, and it's not hard to apply them. So God did an amazing job when he cre uh, created the Israelite nation at that time. Monday's lesson tells us to read some more in Deuteronomy 31. Uh, and I wanted to point out uh, in uh, Deuteronomy 31, verse 17, says, 
Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they will be consumed, and many evils and troubles will come upon them. They will say in that day, Is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? I really like this text because it kind of hints at how destruction comes upon us is is not from God. The destruction comes from Satan and our rejection of God. Our free will is still very, very important in this process. And this is where, you know, I need, I can't just say, I can't just surrender my life to God on some day 10 years ago and that be it. Satan is not going to give up. There's a great controversy happening in this world. And we need to daily make that same surrender. I think it's very important. Also, uh, Monday's lesson talks about the effects of songs. And I remember listening to a pastor one time. And the pastor commented about how songs are oftentimes the theology that we remember most. And it's interesting how uh, the Psalms are so powerful and they were written into songs that people were to sing. Maybe we should be singing more of the scriptures. Even uh, later in our lesson, uh, there's a song that seems that God wrote, uh, that God told Moses to write it. God may have dictated it and we're gonna read it later today. Songs are really important in that regard. And I think you can think in your mind how maybe some theology remember most from a song, your favorite songs. The last thing on Monday's lesson that I, I got out of Monday's lesson was how Moses called the law a witness. And he put the law in the temple uh, and called it a witness. You know that exactly what came up to my mind in that was the John 1-1, one, one, right? Where Jesus is talking, John talks about Jesus being the word of life. And that just came into my mind that Jesus was the word made flesh. That witness came. Jesus was the, may have been that witness. The witness that Moses is talking about became life in, in the, the life of Christ, how he lived the perfect life of love. Uh, I think that's a very interesting connection that John is making. And it's true, you know, Christ was the, the, the life of perfection that we should have. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. On Tuesday, it starts off, that you may prosper. And that's really the essence of what the law is. We aren't to be like that meme that goes around. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's one where there's a hand sticking out of the water and... There are many variations of this, but they're different texts. Mm -hmm. And that hand reaches out and gives a high five to the hand that's half underwater. And then that hand sinks completely beneath the surface. I haven't seen that. (laughs) Well, the point of the meme is simply that sometimes people will say something encouraging to you as you're in a desperate situation that's not helpful whatsoever. Oh, yes. And you just sink underwater. Right. God's not in that business. He's not in the business of clothing us with a robe of righteousness and leaving us completely filthy and living in sin. We are to be rescued. That's his intention. We're to be, the the shackles of sin are to be smashed off our wrists and ankles. That's what he wants. Yes, there is a robe of righteousness, which is Christ's righteousness upon us, but we are to be freed from that sin. 
And the song that's given in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 1 through 43, is called the Song of Moses. And as far as I know, this is the only song in the Bible that's given directly from God to his people through his servant. There are many prophecies given through the prophets, but as far as I know, this is the only song. This is called the Song of Moses. I'll first start reading in verse 1. Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass, and as the showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. They have acted corruptly toward him. They are not his children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is not he your father who has bought you? He has made you and established you. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of all generations. Ask your father and he will inform you, your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave the nations their their inheritance, when he separated the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel, for the the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the wallowing waste of a wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young. He spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his Opinions. The Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign God with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth, and he ate the produce of the field, and he made him suck honey from the rock and oil from the flinty rock, curds of cows and milk of the flock, with the fat of lambs and rams and bread of Bashan, and goats with the finest of the wheat and of the blood of grapes you drank wine. But Jerishiram grew fat and kicked. You are grown fat, thick and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him, and scorned the rock of his salvation. They made him jealous with strange gods, with abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods from whom they have not known. New gods, who came lightly, whom your fathers did not dread. You neglected the rock who begot you, and forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this, and spurned them, because of the provocations of his sons and daughters. Then he said, I will hide my face from them. I I will see what their end shall be, for they are a perverse generation, sons in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are not people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. A fire has been kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depth of Shaul. It consumes the earth and its produce, and scorches the foundations of the mountains. I will heap disasters upon them. 
I will spend my arrows against them. They will be wasted from hunger and ravaged by pestilence and bitter plague. I will send the fangs of the wild beast against them with the venom of vipers that slither in the dust. Outside, the sword will take their children, and inside, terror will strike the young man and the young woman, the infant and the gray-haired man. I would have said that I would cut them to pieces and blot out their memory from mankind, if I had not dreaded the taunt of the enemy, lest their adversaries misunderstand and say, Our own hand has prevailed. It was not the Lord who did all this. Israel is a nation devoid of counsel, with no understanding among them. If only they were wise, they would understand it. They would comprehend their fate. How could one man pursue a thousand, or two put ten thousand to flight, unless their rock had sold them, unless the Lord had given them up? For their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies concede. But their vine is from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are poisonous. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the venom of serpents, the deadly poison of cobras. Have I not stored up these things, sealed up within my vaults? Vengeance is mine, I will repay. In due time their foot will slip. For their day of disaster is near, and their doom is coming quickly. For... The Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and no more remains, slave or free. He will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge, which ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up and help you. Let them give you shelter. See now that I am he, There is no God besides me. I bring death and I give life. I wound and I heal. And there is no one who can deliver you from my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and declare, As surely as I live forever, when I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand grasps it in judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood. While my sword devours flesh, the blood of the slain and the captives, the heads of the enemy leaders. Rejoice, O heavens, with him, and let all God's angels worship him. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his children. He will take vengeance on his adversaries and repay those who hate him. He will cleanse his land and his people. Amen. So this is directly related to Revelation. So we see how he will render justice and the enemy will be slain. Sin will come to its end. So the reference for Revelation is Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. There is a song that I loved in high school by a group called Petra, and the song is the Song of Moses, taken from that portion of Revelation. A beautiful song. Okay, let's move on from there. On Tuesday's lesson, uh, it talks about prosperity, right? You remember that? And um, it talks about, uh, it says to read Joshua 1.7, and it says, only be strong and very courageous. 
Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. What comes to mind with this is the prosperity gospel. Right. The prosperity gospel, if you're not familiar with it, is one where preachers, in brief, Hmm. they say that God wants you to not only be prosperous in your faith, but especially with an abundance of things and of money. And they promote this idea through the act of asking for offerings to themselves. They call for people to, quote, sow the seed, to come up and to give excessively to them. You have probably seen televangelists who do this very thing, and it does not focus on the the beauty of the law. It doesn't focus on the beauty of Christ's righteousness, right. of his sacrifice, of the plan of salvation, of the coming kingdom, of the cleansing of sin. None of that is included or emphasized. Yeah, it's not emphasized. At least it is not emphasized. Right. But monetary and physical gain are emphasized. And these this type of, quote, gospel is being used in a manipulative fashion throughout the world yeah. and preying upon those who have very little. For instance, I've lived a lot of my life in East Africa, and on any given Sunday, you can hear very, very loud blaring speakers from these supposed churches that teach this type of thing. And people go there, give their money as if the preacher is a, some type of witch doctor to, to get a husband, to get a wife, to get a child, to get a lot of money or an expensive car or an expensive house. They have a wish list mm. and they feel that if they just give their money to this person, that he has some kind of special powers with God and can influence God, and God must act as a sort of a fairy godmother towards their wishes. Now, like a God, Santa Claus kind of character. Exactly. Now, God does want us to be prosperous, especially in faith and family. And he doesn't necessarily want us to be impoverished either. But that's not his goal. He wants to see lives transformed. Right. And we don't need a certain level of monetary income to be completely transformed and happy with the good news that's in the Bible. This was also in the time of Christ also, because, you know, they thought uh, if you had been blessed by God, that you were wealthy. You know, so they had a kind of prosperity gospel even in Jesus's day. This is why when, um, you know, the rich young ruler who had wealth and, and, and influence kind of rejected Christ for his money. And it was kind of, these kind of stories were shocking to the disciples. But then God showed the opposite view when they met Zacchaeus, right? Where someone who had some money and influence and, you know, get, did give his life to Christ. It was a very different story. So right. and God is about changing people and, and God is not a Santa Claus figure. Right, and we see after Christ left how the early church worked together, mm. selling property that they had to help those who were in need, coming together of believers, working together for 
the gospel of Christ in powerful and dramatic ways. There's one verse that I'd like to share with you from Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord tells Joshua as he enters into Canaan, Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. So the law is the prosperity of our souls. The last thing I want to say about that verse is that it says, be strong and very courageous. We sometimes are not very bold and courageous for the Lord. When we are under the attack of Satan, co-workers, whatever, we, sometimes, you know, some people are a little timid about their faith. And we need to pray for boldness and for courage, stand up. Uh, for Christ and for our faith. And I think that's what kind of you were alluding to. We have to grow. We we test Christ in a way, just as we follow our fathers and our mothers when they tell us to do something. We do it also, and we learn from that. It's, an, it's a learning process. This is And this is what this lesson is about. This quarter is about education. We learn from God. We learn from our parents. We learn from the law. We learn about God's love. We learn about how the Holy Spirit is changing our lives and how Christ is our example. Right. We've spoken about how Christ led a perfect life and he died for our sins on the cross and that justification. But a lot of his ministry had to do with healing those that were sick, showing compassion for those that he loved, and also teaching. So at the feeding of the 5,000, they were not just gathered there to share a meal together. They were there listening to the words of Christ, fully explaining the depth of the scriptures to them. Mm -hmm. He was able to do it with parables that they could relate to. And stories have an incredible transformational effect on people. In my classes, I'm using some simple stories of a grandmother and a granddaughter. And the grandmother's telling the granddaughter stories from her childhood And those stories are about character development. So stories have an an incredible way of sticking with us. Just like a song, when scripture is put to song, we're able to more easily remember it. And when we hear a story, like a parable that Christ told, it is easier for us to understand the principle behind that story. Wednesday's lesson uh, begins talking about the struggles the plights of Christians. The title is The Toils and Struggles of Law Keepers. It tells us to read 2 Chronicles 31. Uh, I will turn to that. 2 Chronicles 31, verse 20 and 21. And it says, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judea, And he did what was good, right, and true before the Lord his God. Every work which he began in the service of the house of God, in law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. This reminds me of, like, what is prosperity to Christians versus what is prosperity to the world? And we know the prosperity of the world is always like wealth and power and, and, and what, you know, the big house and car and everything like that and 
But the prestige on earth is not necessarily going to give us much prestige in heaven. God is about our spiritual well-being, bringing us hope and and uh, having the Holy Spirit change our lives and to have the life of Christ lived in us. It's a different sort of prosperity. Uh, but there were people, Abraham was not a poor person. Uh, Daniel had great power. But when Jesus came, he came as a humble baby in the bad bad part of town. Uh, so when we look at prosperity as Christians, we have a hope in salvation. We have a hope in glory. And when we see the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and we see love where we before there was hate, when we see love and compassion when there was before jealousy and envy, when we have that change and it's happening to us, where before we didn't want to pray, but now we do. Before we don't want to spend any time with God and today now we want to spend maybe a whole day with him. When these changes we see happening in our lives, we know that the Holy Spirit is working and we know our salvation is sure in that way, uh, as the scriptures tell us. Also on Wednesday lesson talks about, uh, continues the struggles uh, like John the Baptist. We know the story of John the Baptist extremely well. He was, as Christ said, the prophet of prophets. He was the greatest prophet. And we know his head was cut off. It didn't seem like the promises of God worked out very well for John the Baptist, but that's not what Jesus told about him. When we are surrounded by sin, sin in our own lives and sin in, in the lives of people around us, we shouldn't be really shocked when bad things come upon us, right? Right, um, that shouldn't be a litmus test for real faith because we are in sinful flesh. And by that, I don't mean that we're born sinful, but that we are degraded. We yeah. have been here for many generations yes. since creation in a very fallen world. Mm. And a lot of these innovative things that are in this modern era are highly damaging to the human body. The nutrition went up in the 20th century <laughs> significantly, and we saw diseases, all manner of diseases, just drop off the scale. If we have those people in our lives that give us a good example we're able to make positive changes. So Which, there, there's always a, a left and a right, a blessing and a cursing. And that brings up something that I think is really important. It says, time and again, the Lord told Israel that if they obeyed the law, they would prosper. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 to 29. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse, the blessing that you will heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you will not heed the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn away from the way I command you this day to follow other gods, which you did not know. And it will be when the Lord your God will bring you to the land to which you come to possess it, that you shall place those blessings upon Mount Gerizim, and those cursing upon Mount Ebal. So there was this striking display that we read later in Joshua of 
the blessing and the cursing, calling out from Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And that's that's really what God has in mind when he gives us the law. Those things that bless our lives if we do them, and those things that are a curse to our lives if we do them. Things that we shouldn't do and things that we should do. He cares for us, and this is a book of instruction for our well-being, for our relationship with him and our relationship with others. Another thing that I'd like to point out is from a different verse, Psalms chapter 84, verse 10. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Mm. This brings to mind a song, and if you'd like to look it up on YouTube, it's really fantastic. It's by a singer. His name is Marty Goetz, G-O-E-T-Z. And he takes scripture and puts them to music. Mm. And this is one that I've always loved. I'll just read a few of the lyrics here. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. One day in your courts, O Lord, is to me far better than any treasure that the world could afford in a thousand days of this life. I have no use for the prosperity gospel of riches and power and material things, but I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. Mm. Amen to that. When it comes to the promises of God, it seems when we read the scriptures that the conclusion that I come to is that all the promises of God are not for me right now in this instance. But God is faithful and loving and working in my life and working on my heart. And um, I can trust him because I have tried him and uh, found him wonderful. Um, so I, I have the faith that uh, the Bible is true and that God is the God of love. And remind you, know, Jesus loves me. This I know. <laughs> the Bible tells me so. The last thing on Wednesday's lesson is Hebrews 11, uh, verse 13 to 16. And I'll read that uh, to finish Wednesday's lesson. It says, uh, reading from verse 13, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things made it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It's a wonderful promise uh, for people like the John, like John the Baptist, that the Lord is uh, preparing a home for us. Amen. And that's like we were talking about before, the the wonder of salvation, of justification, sanctification, and then that beautiful day of glorification where we can go home to be with our Father we can see Christ face to face. And these people who went through a lot of difficulties and even were martyred in the end, mm -hmm. 
what a sweet day that will be when they see the face of their Savior. Looking at Thursday's lesson, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived the only human life in perfect obedience to the Father, in perfect obedience to the law of God. He did this so that he could not just be our substitute, which he was, but also our example. And then 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, He who says, He abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So he is our example as well. He's our example. We should be like him. And this brings up the question, you know, what can I do? And the lesson brings out the uh, actions speak louder than words. Um, and we need to have the actions of love. And when we talk about actions, what can we do? What is our actions? Actions speak louder than words. What actions can we actually do? I should stand up for the Lord boldly and courageously. Who is going to give me this boldness and this courage? This is something that's core to who we are in our character, to live like Christ, to have Christ living in us. And the only hope I have is with my free will is to surrender my life to Christ and have the Holy Spirit change me. That is what I need to do. When I think about actions speak louder than words, when I think about doing something for Jesus. You know, yes, I can make some choices um, to do certain things, but the key one is the daily surrender. I remember my mother telling me about the Ellen White quote that says like, you know, wake up in the morning and tell the Lord your plans and put them at his feet and have him use you and use me. And that's what I want to do. I don't feel like I can be who I need to be without Christ taking control of me. And when I look at the sin in my life and the sins that have wrecked my life in this sinful world um, and how my righteousness is filthy rags, I freely, willingly want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to freely give Christ my life every day and have him change me day by day. The truth and love of God needs to be in all of us. Make myself available for God's tool. Put myself in the tool shed of the Lord so that he can pick me up and use me in the way he wishes. Right. Like that song, I Surrender All, mm -hmm. and how Paul talks about putting to death the desires of the flesh. If we put to death the desires of the flesh and we come to the foot of the cross in humility each day, like you say, then he can lift us up. We can walk with him. One quote from Steps to Christ. That so-called faith in Christ which professes to release men from the obligation of obedience to God is not faith, but presumption. By grace are you saved through faith, but faith, if it does not have works, is dead. Ephesians 2.8 James 2.17 Jesus said of himself before he came to earth, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Psalms 40, verse 8 And just before he ascended again to heaven, he declared, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. John 15.10 The scripture says, 
whereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that says he abides in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. 1 John 2, 3-6. I want to bring this back to this lesson about Christ and, and, and surrendering to Christ and stuff. Uh, but this lesson is really about the law of God. The law directed me to a better way. It showed me the true conflict in the world around us. And it showed the weakness and failures in my life to meet a different way, the way of Christ. And we all want in the world a, a society that is pleasant and kind. The law of God turned me on to a better way and, and opened my eyes to the way of Christ and how a moral society can be created and how heaven will be that true society of love and compassion and forgiveness and, and in just a beautiful place to live because all the murder and all the death and all the sadness will be gone all the fear will be gone that this world created, that, that, that Adam and Eve eating of the fruit created, that the sin that Satan created. Um, so the law is, is teaching us so much. And, and how David said that he loved the law, we can love it too uh, as we grow in Christ. Amen. To finish off, a uh, quote from the book Education in Friday's lesson. Unselfishness underlies all true development. Through unselfish service, we receive the highest culture of every faculty. More and more fully do we become partakers of the divine nature. We are fitted for heaven, for we receive heaven into our hearts. Uh, last thing I wanted to say um, that I found in the teacher's notes for this lesson. Uh, it's an important point that I hadn't really thought deeply about. And that is that in Deuteronomy 31, 16, we realize truly that God made a covenant with people he knew would rebel. He even said it in Deuteronomy 32, that we read the whole song and he's making a covenant and he's making promises to these people and he's saying i will do all these things for you come to me i will help you i will strengthen your kingdom all these blessings that if you follow god is constantly working for people who are rejecting him trying to get us to he's knocking on our hearts right God is definitely knocking on our hearts, and he knows the things that we've been through. But he is not knowing of the ways that we'll fail. He is counting on the ways that we will stand with him. Hmm. That's the longing in God's heart. Yes. And all power is available to us through his indwelling spirit because hmm. of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Christ overcame on our behalf. Mm. And the Spirit was sent because Christ overcame. If Christ had failed, that wouldn't be available to us. Oh, absolutely. But, but Satan was defeated. That was his final 
moment. So now any one of us can come to Jesus, can confess our sins and be forgiven and start that walk of sanctification and that beautiful day of glorification when he comes again. Amen. And that's the longing in our hearts. And that's why we call ourselves Adventists, because we look forward to the advent of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Hmm. Let's have a closing prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your law. We thank you for your Son who came, who led a perfect life, who healed the sick and the lame, who taught the scriptures plainly, truthfully, in principle, taught in parables so that our simple minds could understand and apply it to our lives. We thank you for the many blessings that you have bestowed on us, the safety that you have given us during these hard times. And we ask that you lead us each day by your Spirit to do your will without reservation and without fear. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking Darkness seems to fill his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Bible readings taken from the NASB are copyrighted by the Flockman Foundation. Bible readings from the King James Version are in the public domain.